right. All right, everybody. Welcome to the All Heart Podcast, a podcast that's all about healing the culture with joy and pleasure. You know, this season, though, we're all about being real with ourselves. And I love all the feedback we've been getting and talking to everybody in the DMs. I want to just ask real quick for you all to share this podcast with someone that you love, that you know that needs to hear it, whether that's our podcast about mothering or our podcast about African traditional religion and ancestry. Y'all know what you've been listening to. It's been great. Today is only going to get better. I brought one of my favorite keep it real with you folks to the podcast. Maya, you have been, if I had balls, you've been busting my balls (laughs) around climate change for 19 years. I don't know how long we've known each other. It's been a second. Right. It's been a second of ball busting. Yeah, you really have. (laughs) And I was like, you know what, what's something that I'm really uncomfortable talking about? something I like to put my head in the sand and pretend isn't happening. And it definitely is the changes that are happening on the planet. It really breaks my heart and makes me feel like I don't know what to do. And so I was like, let me bring on my dear friend who does know what to do in some way and who's been asking me what I'm doing about it for decades (laughs) so I want to introduce y'all to Maya Lilly a beautiful artist a beautiful activist I actually want you to introduce yourself Maya because you know bios are biographies all of that stuff has also been burned in the COVID fire to me I want to know who you are and have you introduce who you are and what you do to our audience so welcome Maya thank you Noni I love you. I've loved you for a long time. You're like a North Star for me. Whenever I'm around you, I reorient in the right Mm -hmm. direction. I really appreciate you. Thank you. I am right now in a rainy Hudson Valley, and I know Noni from Los Angeles, which I know is in a state of permanent drought, what climate scientists call permanent drought. Not, it's like a drying out of the West. And this is formerly Mohican territory and Lenape territory in Hudson Valley. Um, Henry Hudson was a slaver, and so the Hudson River is inadequately named, but the Mohicans had another name for it, which meant the waters that are never still. And so I'm in a lot of gratitude at being in a place of deep, deep water. You know, we have the opposite problem on this coast, which is too much water and not too little with climate. I, I, I mean, I think what you just said about like overwhelm, what do you do, head in the sand, that's a common dilemma. Mm-hmm. That, you know, Al Gore talked about that years ago in his book, Earth in the Balance, where he said, if, you, if your individual actions don't affect the thing that you're taking action about, then most people just stop taking those individual actions because we all want to feel like we're, we're not crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like if, if, my, if, if buying a Prius doesn't seem to have any impact on the fossil fuel industry's greenhouse gas emissions, then what the fuck am I doing, right? Exactly. So that's, it's common, you know. Who knows how I introduce myself in this time of pandemic. I feel like the best intro for me is I'm, I've always been gyroscopic. Hmm. What is that? Uh, so the, so, <laughs> um, 
for me, it means the faster things spin around me, the more still I get. Mm. I'm a good first responder because of that. And I think it's part of why I came into this world with the weight of the understanding of both first the environmental crisis and then the climate crisis, because I can hold, um, I can hold that space in a weird way. Like someone, a, a Jewish person once said that I was a Lamed Vovnik, <laughs> which is like one of a certain amount of people on the world who are like holding the weight of the grief of the world at any given time. I don't know too much about that, but that's what they said. <laughs> that's accurate. So, that's accurate. Mm-hmm. Oh, you think so? <laughs> I do. I do. I actually think that has been the through line of the people that are on this season is that we are the people right now that are holding us together and we're holding our hearts. And so my intention with this whole season, and it's, sorry, y'all, it's coming to an end because we about to get close to elections. I got some shit I need to do. (laughs) I love this podcast, but I got some shit I need to do as well (laughs) to to continue to hold all of us, right? Um, So that that thing how you describe yourself that's the kind of folks that i've been wanting to talk to right now mostly because i feel like as we hold the more focused we are on softening this collective grief the easier this blow will be and i know that the days to come in the next 30 60 90 days are going to be mad challenging right really, really challenging. And so I've wanted to have as much medicine here as we can, because the grief that we're all holding collectively is really hardcore, right? Mm. Often often the weeds, like dandelions and the things that heal the land are the ones that have the highest amount of medicine. You know, so those of us that have fallen through the cracks, you know, the, the dreamers and the artists and the shakers, the mover shakers in that way, that realm, I think that we hold a lot of medicine. Mm, I love that. We've been taking our dandelion tinctures and I see everybody, all my children, their little rashes are coming up in their faces and I'm like, oh yeah, you're doing, it's doing, it's, it's works, doing it's yes. magic. Yeah. Liver is getting clear. Look at your skin looking shitty. Because <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that means it's not in the body. It's coming exactly. out of the body. In the that, biggest organ of the body, the skin. What about that metaphor, right? Yeah. Hey. That's beautiful. Okay. How, we're going to do our grounding questions before we go and get into it. So, okay. how do you like to be loved? I like to be loved like a really happy houseplant. So I don't need water every day and I like my own space, but I do want you to check in on me from time to time. Make sure that I have either direct sunlight or indirect sunlight. Make sure that I I get put in water when I'm cranky. (laughs) I'm a water sign. So just put me in a shower and I'm good. or river and um, just feed me good energy and sing to me. And, mm. and the, I'll grow bigger if you sing to me. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like to love Maya? I think I also equally do a lot of singing to the people that I love. 
Um, I like to tend to people like I tend to soil, where I like to, I like to touch people. I like to um, listen to what they need, listen to what nutrients, they, and, I, and, I, and I'm still learning, but I'm trying to cater the love to what the love is they're asking for. Mm. And not just the love that I like to give or receive, because I mm. think that's that's love, right? Absolutely, that's what I think love is right now too. It's really shifted. I've been talking this week about I don't give and any advice unless I'm asked anymore. It's a great energetic boundary for me, and it's just great for the world. How self righteous was I in my twenties, just giving it all away? Well, because also you gave such good advice. Right. <laughs> I give, I, I, Which is the ego fuckery right there, right? It, it is. It is. It, it can become arrogant. But that's also the only caveat is, and you know this personally, if spirit, if, the, if my counsel guys are telling me, you got to go say this thing, I will also do that. But other than that, hey, your life is your life right now, boo-boo. Like, it's not a, like, mm-hmm. that's, that's you. Okay. Yes, and it's a journey here. Only warriors here right now. That's for sure. <laughs> we're we're kind of all out here on our own. <laughs> <laughs> Good. You're laughing because you know it's true. I'm laughing because it's so true. It's a solo mission right now. Like we can we can check in, we can be together, but it's a solo mission. Everybody, get your water up. Like it's on you to make sure that that plant, that house plant, you gotta. I gotta gotta water yourself. Totally. And also I do say a little prayer to the aliens every now and then. Like, what what do we gotta do for a little intervention? <laughs> just hold, hold, happy hold, aliens, just come on. <laughs> hold, hold hold tight. A lot of people believe it's coming this month, but by the time this is released, who knows? <laughs> I'm down. It's October seventh, everyone. If there's already been an alien um, intervention in a week when this is released. Tell us, tell us how it's going. I don't know. <laughs> this is your little time capsule from the past. <laughs> okay. And then what's something you feel like we need to be real with ourselves about right now? All of us. I think we need to be real with ourselves that at the current rate that we are living in this civilization that we've set up, we will destroy the planet on which the civilization is set up. Yeah. Yep. And that's what we're talking about today. I knew you would say that. <laughs> I knew you would say that. It's it's reality. Okay. So with that sobering thought, let us talk about you, Maya. Where did you grow up? How did you get to where you are now? I want to know a bit about your journey. So I know you, Maya, first as an artist as a theater artist specifically. Mm-hmm. So right now, what I know is that you're producing, you're a producer. How did you get from that place to this place? And you're producing right now all in the world of climate change and climate activism. So walk us through the journey. So I, I loved my childhood. I was blessed to grow up in all art schools, performing art schools. And I was born in New York, lived in Cincinnati, went to high school in Miami, 
and all of it was performing art schools. So starting in the fourth grade through 12th grade, I was acting, singing, dancing, private voice lessons, private piano lessons. And the natural trajectory of that route is you end up going to a conservatory. And so mm -hmm. I just naturally always was like, you know, I'm gonna audition. I got into Juilliard, which is, it was, wasn't on my radar. And then I got in and it was kind of like, you can't turn it down. Mm -hmm. And so I went to an acting program with like 20 other people who were equally as amazed that they got into that puppy. Mm -hmm. And when I was there, I had a friend who basically was so tapped out energetically from the really tough conservatory program that he said, hey, would you take over being president of the Juilliard Greens, which was like the environmental club. Hmm. And I'm always like super type A and I was like, yeah, I, sure. I, you know, I'd kind of dabbled a little, I'd become vegetarian at 15. Hmm. And so I knew about how the Amazon was being depleted to make room for cattle. Mm. Um, but my reason for becoming vegetarian was more animal rights. I just, I wasn't fucking with the treatment of the animals. So mm. I wasn't really savvy on the environmental crisis. So this is like the late nineties. Um, he asked me to be the president. I very type A was like, sure. And then I started to do as much research as I could about what was going on with the planet because I was like, I can't be a president if I don't know anything that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Captain obvious. So, so I had the best way I can describe it is I had this epiphany at the age of 18 mm. that we are, we are completely changing the fabric of everything that existed for billions and billions of years before humans were even on the scene. Mm. And that was a lot, that was a lot at 18. Mm. I had this complete like breakthrough, breakdown, breakthrough Mm. where I, I started performing monologues for my teachers about the climate crisis mm. and about the warming weather and the changing of the trees and the animal extinctions and all of it. And they, they were not thrilled. Mm. That, that's that's the, the mild way I was putting it. Like they were <laughs> like, you basically need to stop or we gonna kick your ass out. Mm. And I was like, huh. And I thought a lot, I thought a lot about like, do I want to be an actor? And is, are the arts beyond a place which society has reached? Are the arts actually doing the work that I feel like the arts should be doing? So mm -hmm. I, I went into a deep dive of what story meant to me. Mm -hmm. And I decided to take a leave from Juilliard, mm -hmm. which like they were kind of like, you're one of two people that have ever done that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, I went and did an environmental studies degree. Mm -hmm. And I, I took oceanography and astronomy and earth sciences. And basically what I experimented with was theater as a means of social change. So I was studying like theater of the oppressed, Augusto Boal, mm -hmm. Bertolt Brecht, you know, all of the ways that we can influence an audience to take action. But all of it was about, was about the environment and climate. Mm -hmm. um, decided not to go back to Juilliard because I didn't want to be an actor. After that, I was like, I want story to have more meaning for me. And so mm. I, I, I decided not to return. And then instead, I moved to LA because mm. I was like, all right, who has the biggest megaphone? Mm. Where, where can I influence the most people about climate change? Mm. I was like, let's look. Hmm. So this is, where, this is where our story intersects. <laughs> I think that's so interesting. I actually didn't, I knew some of this, but I didn't know 
that switch, that, mm. that switch that you had and how that turned on for you. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I've been thinking a lot during this time, reevaluating my whys because I made a lot of the same decisions at 18, right? We were around the same eight. We're, I think we're a couple years apart. By the way, everybody, Maya has the same birthday as my mom. I can never forget it. Every time I even look at your face, I think, <laughs> hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mom. What's mom time to tell me right now? Oh, I love your mom. And, you know, our, our paths intersected with that same, I was in the theater of the, the oppressed. I was really trying to figure out how I could change the world with art. That was in my mind at 1819 too. And when we met each other, it was like, you, I had a really clear, like I wanted to change it around like racial bias and gender bias. And, but I also was, you remember, so on fire about God all the time and like how I could marry the political and the spiritual. And you rolled up with your like, uh, vegetable oil Jeep. <laughs> My Chevy Blazer. <laughs> How did you get into that car? Like it, what you were doing then, what was this? 2000? Yeah. 2000, 2001, something like uh, that? Maybe like 2002, I'm thinking. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, 2002. What you were thinking about and doing then, when you got to LA, what were people on? Like were people treating you like you were crazy? Like, what was it? Well, I mean, you know, LA is a little bit of a land of dreamers combined with business people. So Mm -hmm. the dreamers were entertaining me. You know, I quickly kind of moved into the the, um, social filmmaker circle that's Mm -hmm. now moved to Ojai, but was in LA. (laughs) Uh, And so they they would entertain me. Like they were into the veggie oil thing because you know, because there was that veggie oil place in Silver Lake. Mm-hmm. So they kind of got like a little bit about the emissions and the, the definitely the diet argument was, mm-hmm. was popping. The business people were not fucking with climate and pretty much still aren't. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like I went into room after room after room, pre-Netflix, pre-Amazon, but also Netflix and Amazon pitching stories about climate and people were just like, we can't sell this. Mm. The, the greatest story ever told, the end of human civilization and everybody rising up to meet it. They're like, well, we can. How do we sell that? <laughs> That's what you were pitching, Maya? Maya, wait, what were you pitching? <laughs> the you're... greatest story ever told, the end of human civilization and the communities that rise up to fight it? Yes. Is there a more epic story? Like, what? You could produce The Hobbit, but you can't produce that shit? please. He throws a ring into a fire. We're going to be a a ring of fire is going to be around us. (laughs) So you got here, you started meeting other fellow uh, burning man types that were like, yeah, we feel you. How did you, how did your path continue to grow? So people weren't fucking with climate, but what they were fucking with that I had a voice on was, uh, racism, anti-racism, activist communities, and a lot of TV docuseries started focusing on activists. Mm -hmm. So I lucked out because I started working for, I was a producer for this director named Lauren Greenfield for six Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And Lauren, um, she's not really an activist producer, but she did the Always Like a Girl commercial, which was Mm -hmm. like, run like a girl, throw like a girl, that like broke the internet 
in a mm. feminist movement. Mm. Um, she did a really amazing doc for HBO called Thin, which was inside an anorexia center. So she was all about women's empowerment. So I kind of like cut my teeth with her mm. and working on projects, feature docs and TV docs with her. Mm. Um, I did a, a, like a, a BP Gulf oil spill documentary. Somewhere in there, I ended up doing my master's in environmental security and peace. Uh, which is looking at how the environment is a security issue on par with terrorism for nations. Mm -hmm. And then um, mm -hmm. I started working on like social justice and race issues in TV. And so mm -hmm. that was kind of my way of at least focusing on activism that I knew how to storytell, even if it wasn't about climate. Mm -hmm. So working with Patrice on mm -hmm. two different projects, you know, mm -hmm. um, telling the story of like, you know, police brutality and like defunding the police before that started trending. Mm -hmm. um, and really just figuring out a way to tell the story of what organizers do. Mm -hmm. And all of it was important to me and vital to me and is an important piece, obviously, because racism is completely connected to the climate crisis because it's mm -hmm. still colonialism and patriarchy and all of it. But it wasn't exactly the thing. It was what I had to do to kind of get in the thing. Mm -hmm. That makes okay. sense. It does. Wait, let's let's rewind a bit. Like, yeah. how did you? Because a lot of folks don't know your background and that you're biracial, right? Oh yeah. How how, um, how did your work within like trying to make those connections? Because I I think one of the biggest things that I don't see happening is how to connect racism to gender bias to what you know to climate change like how does how does how do those work before we mm -hmm. i mean we're going to talk more about the problem but let's let's dig in here a little bit i want to know how that comes together for you because for me too you yeah. had this amazing piece what was it called where you played all the different characters of all the different mixed mixed it was about being mixed race yeah and what and that I, means i think that you often sit as kind of that linchpin for many different things happening, mm -hmm. you know? And so I kind of want to know how you sit at that intersection and how that was working for you in your path. Mm. Well, good question. So the, the, the easiest way I can explain how racism is connected to the climate crisis is not in my own words, but there's a man named Hop Hopkins who wrote yes, an incredible piece. Is he a friend? Yes. yes. Oh, yes. He's a friend. Yeah, oh, we, I've never met him, but I love him. Yeah, I we're in the same, him. we're in the same homeschool circle. So our children are, are good friends. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad I brought him up. So <laughs> he wrote an incredible piece for the Sierra Club, which he works for, mm -hmm. which he talks, it's called Racism is Killing the Planet. I highly recommend everybody read it. But he basically has a moment where he says, you can't have climate change without sacrifice zones, which are like areas where we can pollute haphazardly, you know, ad hoc. Mm. And you can't have sacrifice zones without disposable people. Mm. And you can't have disposable people without racism. Mm. So if we build polluting industries, which we do, like, mm. There are super fun sites, there's there are places to dump. You know, we build, we put polluting factories in black and brown neighborhoods after they're black and brown neighborhoods, even though they argue it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. Then we believe that some people are disposable, mm -hmm. right? 
Mm-hmm. That's, that's the civilization we've set up. So, so that's one way I think of climate and racism. Another way is that climate is going to be unfortunately affecting um, black and brown communities first and mm-hmm. hardest for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons. Um, and that is something that I, that is, that is a, re- that is a main reason to get those communities who care about the climate crisis galvanized into the movement because it's going to hit them hard. It's going to hit us hard. You know, yeah. as we saw with uh, Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you really went into producing from the angle of like, let's talk about racial bias first so you can understand how to craft what is your work as a producer like how i think a lot of people i know what a producer is because i produce but i think a lot of people don't even really know what a producer does so what are some of the nitty-gritty things that you did to like start to tell that kind of storytelling a producer does so much that i always joke that i can never remember all the things i did in a day because we basically do everything (laughs) So, I mean, I'm the I'm the the development of the story, the filming of the story, the post production work with the editor of cutting the story. I'm seeing the story from like point A to point Z. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I work specifically with activist communities who already are fighting an injustice, I go to them asking, "What do you need? What will help your issue that you are fighting with?" Mm-hmm. And the reason I do that is because a lot of activists are super wary of like fly in, fly out storytellers yep. who make, a, you know, they spend this much amount of time capturing the amazing direct action. And then they're like, good luck. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. Mm-hmm. And so I, as a, coming from an activist space and then a producer, I, I right away, I'm like, what will serve this for you? Mm. And that's like when I worked on, um, uh, a piece called Resist for Pulse Films with Patrice Con Colors, mm-hmm. our mutual mm-hmm. friend. Um, you know, she built in, she built that in. She was like, what can help the movement of the LA jails system, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. is a fuckery. And then, and then we built episodes around that so that people could have something to latch, a call to action to latch mm-hmm. onto. Mm-hmm. That was great work. That was great work. I loved watching it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It was hard. It was hard. That was a hard piece. Um, yeah. Just because there was so much movable, there were so many movable things going on. So, and then after I have the priorities of the, um, the activists or organizers, then I think, okay, so how can we marry that with really good storytelling technique, meaning urgency, mm-hmm. high stakes, what's at risk? Is there a hero or a hero's arc? Mm-hmm. Where it's like they, they, you know, they're in a different place than at the end. They've mm-hmm. learned something at the end. They're changed. There's a dark night of the soul where they're going to give it all up. And they're like, I can't do this shit no more. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, ah, finally a triumph, even if it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. You know, all those elements. Can we, can I marry that to the overarching need of the organization? Mm-hmm. That's my little cheat sheet of how I've been working with groups. I love that. So tell me how you got to the Years Project, because that's where you're at right now, right? Yeah. So the Years Project is a team of 60 Minutes producers who were basically the only people that did a TV show with James Cameron about the climate crisis called Years of Living Dangerously back Mm. in like 2014, 2015. Mm. First it was on Showtime, then it was on Nat Geo. 
they were clever because they, they took celebrities and made them the journalists in each episode. And so the celebrities were going out and uncovering what was happening. So like Harrison Ford went to Indonesia to figure out what was going on with the palm oil and the orangutans, you know, mm -hmm. who are about to go extinct, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we sent Jessica Alba here. We sent Matt Damon to the heat waves in LA. You know, David Letterman went to India. So like, it was a clever way to get eyes, but basically, you know, it won an Emmy because nobody was talking about it. Nobody was talking about it in depth. And nobody was talking about it from multiple angles. Like, wait, you mean agriculture affects climate? Oh, wait, you, you, we're going to send Don Cheadle to the middle of America to talk to farmers about the drought? Mm -hmm. That was interesting. It's mm -hmm. some interesting TV. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And Don Cheadle, God bless him. So, <laughs> so I have always tracked the year's project. I had I had hustled to get on the show as a producer, to be perfectly frank. Mm -hmm. I had like worked my connections because I really wanted to work on the show and I could not, they were like, it was just New Yorkers kind of, you know, mm -hmm. I was in LA, they were using New York producers. So I, I didn't get on the show. Mm -hmm. And then I saw that they were hiring for a producer position, like mm -hmm. out of the blue on mm -hmm. their website. And I was like, I'm gonna apply. They flew me out to New York. They basically hired me and were like, can you start in two weeks? I was living mm -hmm. in LA. Mm -hmm. And they're like, can you move to New York in two weeks? Is that kind of place in two weeks? And I was like, I'm going to try. Mm -hmm. And then I did. And then I moved my whole life <laughs> across to the mm -hmm. East Coast. And I, I work on like both their short form and then we've been in development for a TV series. Mm -hmm. um, so last year in 2019, I spent a majority of my time following the youth leaders in the climate crisis. So the, the Greta Thunbergs, the mm. kids who are suing the US government over climate change. And I had Noni, I had this completely renewed mm. faith mm. and that I had almost lost, you know, like I had almost been like, I don't know if civilization's gonna make it. Mm. You know, this is, this is a big, we have to change everything. And then these kids, came to me like a blessing mm. and thank God for them. Thank God is for them. Thank mm. everybody for them because they are the generation we needed. They are the community I was looking for. I'm going to cry. They were the community I was looking for when I was 18, having my crisis epiphany at Juilliard, you know, like mm -hmm. and being surrounded by nobody and they're prioritizing the voices of black, brown and indigenous youth. Yeah, like, I'm going to put cool. actually a link to one of your pieces about those children. Really, that piece that y'all did, um, it just made me think, y'all know I have four children, so it really made me think about my children, and it really made me think about the world that they're going to live in, and right now, like, the way that this uh, pandemic is playing out is just so brutal on my children and I can't imagine how it's for others and like having like a pandemic and then wildfires and like all of these things and I have to keep saying go inside go inside stay inside stay in this box you can't see anyone you can't be with your friends you can't do this you can't do that and they already lived a pretty like um, refined lifestyle in terms of they've been homeschooled they have a like a really tight-knit little group of people and then mm. this year has been very challenging because that little small community that they're in has gotten as small as our house and when it became you can't even go in the backyard and you can't go in the front yard it just is like I'm like what it what is this world you know and that's what I was saying like
reimagining even decisions I made when I was younger. All the work that I'm doing now are things I decided to do when I was 18. And I'm so happy that this time has come because I needed to reevaluate. I needed to wonder, what am I putting my energy into? Why am I putting my energy into that? You know, when Hollywood closed, I'm like, what if there was no Hollywood? What would you do? Right. You've always been a storyteller. So would you, st- you still tell stories? Absolutely. And Absolutely. also it gave me a different push of like how I want to be driving my own narratives and how I want to drive the narratives of folks that look like me. Like mm-hmm. having that ability to be spiritually aligned with source you know what I'm saying? Like, and watching some of the work that you've done, and I, I really want to move into what the problem is, because I want us to mm-hmm. spend a lot of time on the problem and a lot of time on right relationship, how to be in right relationship. One of the biggest things that I shifted in my life, and y'all will know this, it's going to be coming in the next few months. I've gotten to spend the last few months working with a group of climate change activists, farmers, ministers. They're people who work where the intersection of culture, spirit, and ecology, where those things meet. And it was like I walked in and found my people. Like, I didn't know these were my people. The majority of them are elders. And I've been working on creating this art project with them. Y'all know I don't really talk about my work that much on this podcast because it's, it's work, but... This has been my weekly church, you know, Mm. and we get to have this, we're building this thing that's going to premiere at a huge museum and it's going to be amazing. But what's really sat with me more than, oh, it's going to be this big shiny thing, which is what work always is in entertainment world and art world, is the idea of being in right relationship. And what that means and sitting with elders who have always been in right relationship and have always had elders who are in right relationship and that everyone that I'm talking to is majority black, which is so rare in the ecology space. And some of them are other POC as well, but like we've just been talking about how to become more human And how we become more human is really about our relationship with the planet. Mm. And I've had this very soft awakening around that and how I want to move the rest of my days here. Like, I think, you know, I, I got the opportunity. I had, like, I wasn't doing anything. Everything stopped. And this showed up in my life from like a very clear manifestation I need a blessing and this blessing came and I'm like okay this is I think when you're manifesting something you want to find what feels aligned you want to find what lights you up you want to find what makes you feel at home and this makes me feel at home Mm. and the center of it is being good to the planet the center of it is being in relationship. I think that that's the biggest thing, that word. Because we can say like, 
I recycle. I do this. I do that. That's mm-hmm. not a re- that's not a relationship. Yeah, it's still humans doing fancy things. But what about a relationship? Mm-hmm. And I would like to talk about this problem that you know so intimately mm-hmm. in terms of a relationship. What is our collective relationship to the planet right now? Noni, have you read Braiding Sweetgrass? <gasps> no, Prentice was a oh. guest here. Prentice was talking about that book. Okay. What's so incredible about that book is it's an indigenous woman who is also a scientist and she looks at all of the things that native culture knew about plants mostly, but like basic scientific principles. And they already knew before science proved it. And just like interesting stuff about like, if you leave this one plant alone and don't touch it versus if you tend to this one, this one will grow back versus this one won't. And it's not intuitive stuff. It's stuff that got passed on. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite parts of the book is she, she's trying to learn the language of her indigenous tribe that she didn't grow up speaking. And the thing that's frustrating her is they don't say that inanimate objects are things. They say they're verbs. So it's like to be a river, Mm. to be a rock. Mm. And, and so she's like, why can't they just say like, ah, that that's a rock. I have to learn how to say to be a rock. And it's, but it's, but then she has the epiphany. She's like, no, it's because like they have a, they have a sovereignty and a life of their own. Mm. And so I, I address them in my, in their language like that, <laughs> like mm. they have their own path and life here, even if they're just a rock, quote unquote, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, when I was in debates, you know, for years and years about like, is it capitalism that's causing this imbalance? Is it overpopulation that's causing this imbalance? Is it, is it the fact that we're aliens seated here and we're a different culture than this planet is the reason we're so out of whack with, with the basic tenets of ecosystems. The thing I kept coming back to was just that I, humans are very fascinated with ourselves. You know, we, we like to put ourselves at the center of things. Our minds like to think about the things we can build and like all the ways we can be so sparkly shiny as humans. Mm. And so we've put ourselves intentionally or not at the very top of a pyramid Mm -hmm. of an ecosystem. And that's not how ecosystems work. No, they work in circles. Yes. And Mm. also we've also thought of it, it, we were able to be colonialist because we thought of the earth as this dead thing. Hmm. You know, there was a theory years ago called Gaia theory and James Lovelock, the scientist who discovered it was ridiculed. And only now are scientists coming back around to his theory, which is that the earth itself is a living organism. It's not just that the earth grows living things, (laughs) but that why would something growing all these living things be dead? I think that's so, I think it's so important what you're pointing out, Maya, because when we talk about relationship and being in relationship with the earth, oftentimes I think black folks separate ourselves from the concept of indigeneity, right? But we are indigenous. We're indigenous to this land, for sure, to the Americas. Mm -hmm. And we were here for thousands of years. And 
we are also indigenous to the African continent and we're indigenous to many places throughout this planet. And when we really tap into our ancestry, we talk to our aunties. You could just look at basic hoodoo, which is what we were talking about mm -hmm. in our last episode. We are in relationship with this earth. We always have been. And we cannot think about ourselves with a colonizer mind. Yes. I don't get too deep into the decolonized thing. I, I give it up, you know, my sister Thea, she's in that world. I give it up to that. Like, yes, do that, do that thing. Cause I don't think about the colonizer too much or decolonizing too much. Yeah. But here I, I do want to put a caveat and say, this is not our mind. Mm. We are working within a framework that doesn't belong to us. It is not, native to us it is not indigenous to us it is not natural for us we are working and living our lives in a way that is actually unnatural the mm -hmm. next time you find yourself driving down the street in a car whatever you're doing in that car look around and ask yourself is this my natural state mm -hmm. i ask myself this all the time and start thinking back ask your ancestors is this your natural state what are y'all doing it wasn't totally. that anything that you're doing right now that wasn't what they were doing even your, i love that your i have that thought all the time noni with concrete i'm always looking at concrete like mm -hmm. is this what i like do i like concrete no no driving in a car listening to my iphone on a bluetooth while i eat chick-fil-a or whatever the fuck that's mm -hmm. this is complete like you don't even have to go that far back <laughs> yes it would be it's not natural for your grandparents yes but it was practiced to become natural for a group of people that was not the black brown and indigenous groups so when when all those settlers came over from europe mm. it wasn't like they were just like oh let me let me wipe off these indigenous people they had practiced that shit in africa Mm -hmm. They had practiced that shit in the Middle East, mm. you know, and, and the indigenous people's history of the United States lays that out really well. Mm -hmm. So they came over tried and true of how to take over wealth from the resources of peoples in a place. And they just, they did that with the indigenous cultures who had irrigation canals, <laughs> who had cornfields that were thousands and thousands of square acres who were legit built up because they, they, they went from the Mayans all the way up. It wasn't just like the indigenous people were just in North America. Yeah. They were all over, like they were sharing and trading and even the mm -hmm. Caribbean, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So right now, this relationship that we're, it's kind of like an abusive relationship that we're in with the planet. And we're kind of touched on the origin of it but what are the major points, right? What, yeah. is, what is the major things that we need to look at that's wrong right now? Like what, this is basic, this is one-on-one. What is wrong if I've, if I've had my head in the sand <laughs> for the last 20 years and I haven't been paying attention to anything, I've been recycling, I've been doing like <laughs> the, the little basic shit, right? I've been like, oh, I have a recycling bin, I do that. Maybe I just started planting something since it's quarantine and I was like, ooh, I YouTubed like, how to compost. But like, these are the basic, like, you know, I'm doing that bullshit, right? Which is cool. Mm -hmm. But what mm -hmm. is the problem? Because I act like I have no idea. Tell me what's the problem. So 
the problem comes from many different places, but I think the easiest way to understand the problem is to look at like the biggest emissions. Mm. You understand, you already in the place, you understand greenhouse gas emissions, but just so that everybody knows, the basic metaphor I use is it's like putting a coat on the planet. Mm. And that changes all the ecosystems of the planet. You know, when we put this coat of carbon dioxide, methane, all of these things, they warm the planet, right? So it's putting on a winter coat on top of the planet. Mm. Um, the biggest way we've been putting on that winter coat is from buildings and heating. Mm. That's the largest emitter in the world. Mm. Um, all countries that are emitting are doing that the most. Right. That's where most of the pollution comes from. So what, earlier when you asked me, you know, about getting a car and I said, I have a hack for that. Mm. If you wanted to hack your carbon emissions individually, the first place you should look is your house, your heating and what you can make electric in your house that does not come from fossil fuels. So mm. where your energy is coming from in your house. China is the world's biggest emitter. Mm. They also have the biggest swath of the housing and the heating. Right. Mm. Um, after China is the United States, and then the EU, Russia's up there somewhere. So first is heating and housing. Second is transportation. Mm. And so yes, that's, that's when changing your car is a big deal. So um, road transportation is like 11.9% of mm. global emissions. Third on the list is agriculture. Mm. And so like the amount of especially methane that's spewed is big and the highest are meat and dairy. Mm -hmm. The methane um, comes from the actual cows, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Cows fart a lot. And that's why Republicans like to go on the Senate floor and be like, they want to take away our hamburgers. And mm -hmm. I'm like, fool, that's not what we're saying. <laughs> it's a whole mm -hmm. bigger system. And then, and then the fourth largest is deforestation because mm -hmm. whenever you cut down a tree, Guess what happens? It releases all of the greenhouse gas it, gases it absorbed in its lifetime. So all so it's of not like just the tree. It's not like just the tree disappears from absorbing in the future. It's re-releasing it back into the atmosphere. Mm, okay. So all of these 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 top four things. So we're talking about greenhouse gases. We're talking about how these things warm our planet, and that our planet is getting incrementally warmer and warmer to the point where it's going to become in, uninhabitable. That's the yes. problem, right? Yes. And it's not incremental anymore. Scientists thought it was going to be incremental. I mean, we've known about this for 40 years. Exxon knew about this 40 years ago and their top climate scientists for Exxon basically warned Exxon, like y'all, what we're doing is fucking warming the planet. It's going to cause catastrophic change. What Exxon did was they, they did a smear campaign where they started taking out ads in the New York Times, basically saying climate's debatable. The climate crisis is debatable. We don't know if the science is solid. Prior to that, the science was solid. Mm. <laughs> Everybody, there was evidence mm. and they knew it. And so what happened was 40 years of inaction because of smear campaigns of what I call climate criminals, which is the fossil fuel industry. They basically convinced the public and not just taking ads out, but like, like having think tanks figure out ways to mislead the public. So that that's, we so, the so there is this big, you know, 
I'm yeah. really into discovering what everyone thinks. So I follow a great amount, probably more right-wing people than left, honestly, online, because I already know what wow. we think. Yeah, I already know what we think. I want to know what other people think. So like, who, I'm the choir. Like, I don't need to hear it. Great. Yeah. Got it. Right. But what do you think? And I've, <laughs> climate change is a hoax is one of the favorite right wing positions. And when we're here talking about the problem of this, this warming, what you're saying is not incremental. This is mm -hmm. happening very quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. What do you say to those people who believe it's a hoax? I'm hearing you saying they believe it's a hoax because Exxon sold it to them. Is that, is that what happened? They, they, no, they believe it's a hoax because their monetary interests rely on them believing it's a hoax. You know, the fossil fuel industry lobbies to the millions every year, politicians to be able to get the subsidies that it gets. Like, so, so they, they're, make, they're making bank you know, to mm. uphold this myth. And of course, ho hoax is basically fake news. Mm. That's, that's a very clever way of, of you know, overriding all facts. Mm. And it's, it's not true. 98% 90, of scientists are agreed about that the climate crisis is human caused. And the, the last little percentage is only people who, they have papers about other things about climate. So like they, they're added into there, but it's, they weren't even talking about the same things. <laughs> so it's basically consensus. It's a and it has been for years. So the people who believe it's a hoax, they're just conspiracy theorists. I'm trying. I'm trying to understand because the the some yes, it's money, but oftentimes it is a regular person, and it's mm -hmm. kind of hard to get to the regular person who's an mm -hmm. everyday person who's watched YouTube, who's seen this, who's seen that, and they've seen a few headlines. They've seen a few people say, you know, this is just this is this is fake, this is this, this is that, like we're naturally warming up. It has nothing to do with what we're doing. It's hard right. to get, you know what I'm saying? Like right now there's such a division amongst people that folks don't yeah. know how to tell the other people why it's real. And right. I'm all about having empathy and compassion for someone that thinks differently than me. And if specifically, if their thoughts are causing harm, I need mm -hmm. to figure out how to talk to them in a way that mitigates the harm that they're causing. Do you feel what I'm saying? Which is why I, I follow do. so many right-wing people. Cause I'm like, how can I get through to you to get you to, to see that you're causing harm? See, I'm, I'm more like the tipping point Malcolm Gladwell's theory that all I need for a social movement is a certain amount of people, the right people and policy change. So I, I used to be of the place like you where I was like convincing the general populace. Mm -hmm. Now I'm like, I'm convincing legislation and the leaders in charge and then everybody else is just gonna have to follow suit. You know what I mean? Like, but that. yes, but I think it's, but I also think like the, the, the Republican right has spent years and years and lots of money on dismantling our education systems, you know, how, like how the NAACP came out against uh, charter schools mm -hmm. and basically privatized schools years ago. Like the Heartland Institute and other Republican mm -hmm. think tanks have, have dismantled education. And they've also been trying to get cl like climate hoax literature into schools. So it's not a surprise that the people, you know, like people are uneducated in the science of it. And it's, it's also our fault because we didn't make the science easy. So like, for example, mm. you know, the UN and the IPCC report that all the youth climate activists talk about all the time back in 2018, 
it talks about how we have to stay below 1.5 degrees of warming mm. or we're going to face catastrophic impacts, like catastrophic, like the melting of all icebergs. Mm. And what would, what would happen? What would happen is that would be sea, like sea level rise and inundate. We would lose Bangladesh. We would lose India. We would lose BIPOC communities all around, all around the world. Mm. Um, <laughs> it makes me want to start, start crying. Like the thought of you lose India. That's, I mean, how many people? Millions, millions and millions of people um, at, just to put it, so, so a, lot of, a lot of this theory comes from David Wallace Wells and his incredible book, The Uninhabitable Earth. And he was the person in that wildfire video that you watched. But mm. he basically says 400 million would face water scarcity at that number. Major cities near the equator would become unlivable. Heat waves would kill thousands every summer. Southern Europe would be in permanent drought, as would Africa. Um, areas burned by wildfires would double like California. And this is just at 1.5 and two degrees of warming. So, so, so the, the fuckery that we deal with as science, climate scientists, I'm not a climate scientist, but the fuckery they deal with is, mm -hmm. it sounds like nothing, right? One, oh, one degree, like I go outside if it's like, you know, if it changes one degree, it doesn't matter. You know, that doesn't matter for me swimming in a swimming pool, like how, how hot it is or how cold it is. But this is like, it, that matters a lot to a delicate refined ecosystem. And it's like our ecosystem is like a train where if we, if we, ha if we have our, our hand on the lever, if we take our hand off, which is like cutting all emissions entirely to zero tomorrow, that train is still gonna have momentum. There's still gonna be heat in the system. So it's not like the train just stops. So that's also part of it, trying to explain that to people who are systematically uneducated on purpose Mm. by the political right is is kind of mind-numbing it's like it's hard to wrap your head around and i applaud you for your work i'm trying to get legislation on it i'm trying to get climate candidates <laughs> to to help sure. with the situation you know for, for sure i definitely more so think about how to frame it for people who are having that conversation daily because yeah. everybody isn't in the position you are right and okay. so my work is really supporting and facilitating people in healing on a one-on-one -on -one level in their own life first healing mm -hmm. themselves and then healing their their relationships right kind mm -hmm. of it like I, we talk about like the concentric circles and some some things that i lead like you have yourself in the middle and you have to really deal with the self and then you have your community and then you know maya you're functioning with the climate crisis on this larger scale but most mm -hmm. of us are still just in the middle trying to figure out well, what am I doing and how can I change? And then, right. And then, you know, I don't have a bunch of people around me who believe that climate change is a hoax, but I know a lot of people and I influence a lot of people who do have those people in their lives. Right. So how, you know, that's the question, like how do, how do we talk about it differently? And I think some of the things you just said, it is one educating ourselves on the science when you when you think about we lose india like that is like i, I want to cry like i can't i can't really think what that looks like what is a planet what is earth without india what is earth without indians what mm -hmm. is earth you know you sent me videos about elephants like what is earth without elephants i i, I can't i can't 
I can't imagine Earth without elephants. But and, and not just elephants, like pretty much all species at this point. It's where, you know, the rate of extinction is beyond anything we've ever seen in all the extinctions that have ever happened on this planet. <laughs> you know? Mm, I don't know, Maya. It's, it's, it's so, that's the part that makes you do the head in the sand because right. it's so, it feels like, can it change? Like, it really feels like so massive. Like, have we gone too far? Is it even possible to, to reorient ourselves? Well, I mean, that's the good news is we have all the solutions we need right now. We just have to scale them up. Hmm. So that's what the Green New Deal has been talking about. You know, that's what other organizations have been talking about with jobs. You know, we have this unprecedented opportunity where a lot of people are out of work. And guess what? We need a renewable economy, stat. Mm. Like we literally need to completely change our infrastructure for driving, for buildings, for all of it. We have all these people out of work and renewables create a shiny ass future. It's not like a future where we have to do less, where we have to drive less, have smaller cars. Uh Uh-uh, that's the bullshit that the the right has fed us, where Mm. they're like, oh, you're taking away things. We want this meager life. Hell no. No, renewables are cheaper and more efficient and better and shinier. And it's so much, I mean, it's so, so basically repurposing all these people who are unemployed into the thing that we need to solve it. It's like, it's like you couldn't write that in a Hollywood script <laughs> because people would think it's too obvious. You know, it just, the puzzle piece fits too nicely, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the good news. But, but the bad news is we have a dinosaur fossil fuel industry that's been deeply entrenched, that's been supported by our government and the banks for countless decades now, as well as other, other parts of the world, you know? And we, ha- we are prying off their dead cold hands finger by fucking finger, <laughs> mm. you know? And so that's part of why the climate movement has, has reoriented. Like a few years ago, climate, climate movement was like, you know, we got to do all we can as individuals. We got to change our light bulbs. We got to get Priuses. We all got to do this, 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 this. And then at some point we all looked around and we were like, wait a second, a mom of, a mom of two with two kids and like a regular ass house is not doing anywhere near the damage of the people who are spewing out millions and millions of tons of carbon dioxide every year. Mm-hmm. And that was a very convenient thing for them to think like, oh, it's all on the individual. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. It's not. And so that's why like the climate movement now is like, listen, there are some things that you can do right now. So you don't have to put your head in the sand and think that your little light bulb is going to change anything. Cause guess what? It's really not your little mm-hmm. light bulb. You can change all the light bulbs in your house. And guess what? That's not, that's not going to affect China. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like the main thing we've been telling people now is you have to change your bank mm-hmm. because the banks are putting $196 billion into the fossil fuel industry. They're funding future oil extraction. Mm. Without the banks, the fossil fuel industry collapses. Mm. The number one is Chase. Mm. Number one, they, they pour so much money into the fossil fuel industry, but also Wells Fargo, Citibank, Bank of America. Those top mm. four, they're all US banks. The US banks are the biggest driver of the climate crisis world why it's so hard even right now during this time to even move your money 
it's very challenging to take your money out. Like there's a big, that's a whole nother conversation, but there's a, a, there's a big thing that's happening with money and with the federal reserve right now. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the, the interesting part to me, a lot of the structures that have, uh, to me, the, the industries that have really contributed to this crisis are crumbling. Yeah. Like the air, the airline industry, the auto industry, the banking industry, all of these things in the last six months only, we've seen like just nose diving. Yes. Good point. You know, and so that is like a shiny thing. Okay, let's continue to talk about solutions because yes, it's really important. Okay, so we have one, change your bank. What's the next thing? The next thing is what we were talking about earlier of right relationship. I, I think that we are living on land where the indigenous people of this land actually had the right idea from the jump. Mm-hmm. And so their voices are being prioritized right now. And I think we need to support that as much as possible because they are the origina- original people who understood that we can't take more than we need, mm-hmm. that mankind is not the pinnacle of everything evolution was intending, mm-hmm. that we live in a, a circle of life and not a pyramid. And so the more we can get out of our own heads and thinking about like our families, our, you know, ourselves, even our own, even our own personal growth, like LA likes to do. (laughs) I still think that's like a human, human centric fuckery. You know what I mean? Like the life coaching movement, I'm still rolling my eyes because I'm like, okay, good. Well, yes, growth is good, but it's still a little bit like humans are the best, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so the more we can like, every day look at something else like the chickens in my backyard you know every human i know calls chickens dumb they have so many different ways they speak to each other Mm. just the other day my my chicken sarah who i've had for two years she made a sound i've never heard before and i'm looking around like what the hell is that and i look up and there's a cat lurking in the bushes outside and she was like that's a cat everybody go hide Mm. And I'd never heard her make that sound before, but she was like, language, language, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was so humbled. I was like, these are not dumb animals. Like, we don't know even half about what's happening in the world, you know? Like, mm. this, the beauty of this place, mm. the magic of this place. It's love so it. magical, Noni. <laughs> I, I love that. So start to live in right relationship, connecting to nature, really starting to slow down. I think that's another thing that's come from these last six months is when you can't go shopping and consume and be this, this in, like be obsessed with the American way of consuming, now you're forced to look at what's real. And what's been real is like, you see people planting, everyone all of a sudden has a garden. It's incredible. Yes. Okay, so we have that. What's the third thing? Well, I would also add to the end of that second list, like treating things as sacred. You know, mm. that they are sacred to us, that they, they aren't just commodities to be bought and sold, but that they have a sacredness unto themselves. Mm. Absolutely. And I think the third ties into that. The third is what we eat and the spaces we create are important to the emissions that are happening. And so the more we can electrify everything, mm. you know, because eventually we'll switch the whole grid to renewables. And when we do, we aren't using fossil fuels at all. So like the gas burning stove, 
you know, like any gas appliances in your house, just elect. And I know this is a hefty haul for people who are renting. Mm. Like, obviously that's a little bit, it's a place of privilege to be able to do that, but we can also convince our landlords to do it. You know, the green new New York deal that just got passed this like landmark legislation in New York is like, is changing all the buildings to have better windows, you know, mm. like anything we can do to fix our homes and get in right relationship with our homes. And then also our diets and get in right relationships with our diets because meat and dairy, we can't, we can't, we just can't anymore. And there are so many other options now. It's not about lack. There's an abundance <laughs> of options that are not meat and dairy, you know? Mm, okay. So what I hear you saying, and, and so y'all know there's about all heart community. It's a lawyer. We got a lot of people that come through, mm. but we got a loyal 1000 people that rock with us weekly. So we're saying right now, this thousand people in relationship with themselves, their families, and the other thousand people that are part of this community could tell themselves, okay, I want to make this shift. And most of us are in California, by the way. So I, I, I do want to, you know, before we go to our end, I want to talk about the wildfires. But mm. most of us on, that listen are in California. Some are in the East Coast. But number one, we need to think about how can we change banks? That's number one, right? How can we use our resources and invest our resources in another entity? Okay, cool. Two, how is our home? What kind of relationship are we in with our homes? And the energy that's emitting from our homes, what can we move from gas to electric? Right? Yes, yes. Okay. And then also thinking about how are we in relationship with the actual planet Earth, having a more devoted relationship and sacred relationship and holy relationship with Earth Mama herself. Okay, I think a lot of y'all got that one down. That that's like the vibe of this group, right? Yes. <laughs> and then the very last one was meat and dairy. Now y'all know I'm a health nut myself. When I'm nursing, pregnant. I actually eat meat and dairy, but when I'm not, I tend to really move far away from that. And I know that sometimes that's challenging for people, but I think we're moving away from that as mm -hmm. a people, like as a people, we are moving away from it. But I also know, yeah, it feels like that. I want to say like, I don't believe, and this is just, you know, my personal bias. I don't believe going to buy a bunch of Beyond Meat is going to solve that because those kind of For processing sure. plants like the more i dig into that world of like the fake alternative package shit it's it's giving a it's giving up this this very similar um totally. emissions to the meat and dairy industry so totally if you are going to eat more plant-based i just encourage you to actually eat plants not chemicals that they say are made of plants, like, but really eat plants, like really eat mushrooms, really eat eggplant, really eat yam, like just really eat those things. They just grow and then you go pick it up and you cook it on your electric stove. That's going to take a minute to, to reorient. You know, I've been like, how can I ever cook on electric? But I think I have a goal for 2021. Thank you, Maya. Mm -hmm. Once again, <laughs> always coming in, shaking things up in my world. But before we end, we do some, I do want to talk about the wildfires real quick. So what is the wildfires about? How, where are they coming from? Should we, basically, girl, should we move? 
Like, like is this gonna is this gonna continue forever? How is it going to stop? Well, um, I did a video uh, that is basically this exact question: What's causing the wildfires? You can look it look it up on the Years Project on our Instagram, our I'll, YouTube, I'll our link, Facebook. I'll link it. I'll link. Oh, it. perfect. Okay, so yeah, so that's a really good primer. But basically, what we're doing is the the West is drying out. It's not a it's not a drought, it's a permanent drying out of the West, according to climate scientists. What, what is happening is the excess heat in the atmosphere, that coat, mm. is drying out the water table. Mm. And so it's creating excess tinder. And so then the cycle of fires is getting worse. We're having mega fires, you know, we're having like hurt, we're having fire weather that we never had you know, even 10 years ago. It's going to keep getting worse. Um, as I said before, if we don't stay before below 1.5 degrees of warming, as the UN recommends and the top climate scientists in the world, um, it's expected to double the wildfires, uh, the amount and the sizes. We are gonna have climate refugees. I expect California to be one of the states that will evacuate en masse. Mm. Um, that's, that's actually part of the reason I moved, which I mm. forgot to mention is I have been looking for a way of getting out of California because I, I have been watching this <laughs> with bated breath. Um, mm. I originally thought Oregon was going to be the safe spot. So I did a bunch of road trips up to Oregon as much as I didn't like their all white constitution. Mm. Um, <laughs> I was like, all right, it's a lot of greenery, but Oregon started getting the fires. Colorado has been getting the fires, Montana. And I was like, okay, so the, the West is not, is not good. And this is happening in many different countries. Africa is gonna face the same problem. There's a movie called Climate Refugees, which came out years ago, like 12, 15 years ago, that talked about how Africa is going to displace to Europe. And we're already seeing that with like the Syrian refugees, you know? Absolutely. Okay, Maya, I have to ask for this. Uh, whatever resources we need to trade to do this, I would love mm -hmm. if, if you can create a resource list. You might already sure. ha have this. I'm going to take some of the links that you sent me, but I would love to share a list of resources for this community of books, videos, whatever is needed. And, you know, whatever your labor will exchange in some way, but I really want to, you've named a, a gazillion incredible books, <laughs> films, that we can get up Got on. You. And I feel like we hit some major points, but this is our planet. This is our future. This is our life. And I feel like it really deserves a deep dive on all of us. And I just want to reiterate, like, this is the beginning of the conversation for me. I feel my life moving into the right relationship with, with earth and what that means and really taking my art in that direction. It has to continually be talked about in different ways, right? It has to become a part of our lifestyle as humans. And yeah, I, I feel on fire about that. And I want y'all knowing, listening, I'm a tourist. I'm a slow baby. Change is hard for me. Okay, so first I'm gonna start with my house and then I'm gonna start with my car and I'm definitely gonna move my money. You know how I am about my money though, it's gonna take a lot for me to move my money because I'm a Taurus. <laughs> so I understand. I've been at the same bank for 20 years 
what am I going to yeah. do with my bank? Right. But you know, when I'm looking at my investments, I'm definitely not putting my money for those of y'all that also invest in stocks. Like I'm not going to be putting my money toward the banking industry. What am I, I'm already like, okay, when I'm thinking of investments, what do I want to invest in? I want to invest in things that are green. I yeah. want to invest in, in that. So I know a lot of us that are in our later thirties, early forties, we're starting to really think about investing money. And I think we need to think about investing in green, in green companies, working in a green way. If you're like me and you work in the industry, like how are you starting to bring up these conversations? Because it's really when it's those big boys, that's what uh -huh. I hear you saying. It's not an individual, but me as yeah. a, pr a producer, I can influence the production company that I, okay, you want to give me a deal. Great. But I want to make sure that everything we do we're doing when we're making my television show is done in a green way. How can we yes. do that? And even if you don't even resonate with the green part with the bank, then just Google lawsuits and your bank with discrimination lawsuits. <laughs> like these, these big banks are racist as hell as well. Mm. You know, like they're completely discriminating against loans for black people, against like promotion within the banks for black people. And I'm talking the same for Chase, City, Wells Fargo, Bank of America. So we are propping up some racist motherfuckers, you know? All right, Maya, we about to go into the joy and pleasure round. I told y'all, Maya just likes it. I told she my mama. Maya just likes to spank me all the time. Like, get it together. Get it together. Busting. Come on, Nani. Change. Maya. No, I understand it's a process. I understand it's a, and I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest lesson I've learned over the years is like now my metaphor for climate is we're all in this canoe that sprung a leak. You know, and there are a bunch of ways to bail out. There's like a big ass bucket and there's a little thimble. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and tell the person with the thimble, stop bailing with the thimble. Even if you're just bailing with your bare hands, at least you're doing something. Like we have to orient our spirits around doing anything we can because we have to do everything we can right now. I, I everything agree. possible. I agree. And I think I want to add to that what I, what I was just reiterating. We all have a much bigger influence on systems than we realize. So any influence that you have in your world, change your personal world around the things we just discussed. But also if you are running a small business and your small business has a hundred employees, which that is a very normal thing for women of color, right? Mm -hmm. You're running a small business. You're listening to this podcast, your partner's running a business, whatever. Where are you banking? Because that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's not just your salary, right? This is where's your business banking? Where's your church banking? Where is your, like, we have all, where, like, yes. your, your small community, how is your small community, what is your church's building running off of? Yeah. And I think when we start to think about not just our influence around those, those things that you named, and I'll list them as well those things that you named, we can think about that on a macro scale. How does my micro life affect a macro life? Because we're all a part of a, of a system. We're all a part of a community, right? And so mm -hmm. I want to say, yes, do those things in our own life, but where are you a leader mm -hmm. in your life that is having, that can have an impact on this? 
And yes. I asked, how can you get the bucket? <laughs> how can you manifest can, your yes. own bucket yes. in that canoe that's from Absolutely. Elite? Absolutely. How can you move from your thimble to that bucket? You know, how can you do that? Okay. Yes. Maybe don't fly private. Okay. Anyway, never mind. Keep going. Definitely Joy. not. <laughs> <laughs> Joy and pleasure lightning round. Okay. This is okay. how we end every podcast. And it's a wonderful thing to ask these questions. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. You're just going to tell me what comes to mind, Maya. Oh, fun. What makes you feel most alive? Being in water. If we really knew you, we would know that. I am silly as fuck, even <laughs> though I work in the climate crisis. What is the first thing you do when you don't feel good? I sit down and meditate. Mm. What is something you are afraid of that no longer scares you? Giving up caffeine. Hmm. And having this heavy star of feeling like I have to work on climate in this life. Mm. What comforts you? My Siamese cats and love. And speaking of which, what turns you on? Intelligence, activism, dedication. Wonderful. How do you practice self-love, Maya? Mm. I check in with myself all day long. I give myself and my body yummy things like yoga, like water, <laughs> like um, healthy foods. I grow a garden. I keep chickens. I practice sovereignty in every way so that I can get off civilization if I need to, hmm. or if it makes me. Hmm. And I, I try to love as much as I can. And how do you rest? I rest, I rest easier knowing that every day at least I did one thing. And share with us a healthy habit or ritual that you have. Mm. I always start the day with water with lemon because then even if I have caffeine, I know that it cuts the acidity of the coffee. Mm. Um, I practice gratitude at the end of the day where I think about all of the things that I am grateful for. Sometimes I write it down, but even little things like, you know, the fact that the light hit me at such a beautiful moment during a Zoom meeting and even though I was on the call with like a bunch of white guys who talked over me, the sunlight was hitting the side of my face and caressing my face and making me feel okay. Thank you. Thank you. I call myself a gratitude groupie. That's actually the episode for today. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, affirm yourself. I am. I am a frontline warrior and I am proud of it. Thank you, Maya. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Can you tell us where to reach you and anything else you want to end with? Thank you all for listening. I appreciate the momentum that is building in society around this issue. And I'm, I'm so glad that we have it finally. 
Um, you can follow my work at the Years Project on all social media platforms. It's at Years of Living. You can watch all of season one of Years of Living Dangerously free on YouTube right now. And you can follow my personal social media at Gung Ho Eco on IG, Facebook, and Twitter. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Maya. I love you, Ms. Noni.